today's readings, it's easy for us to reflect on and to focus on our gospel. We hear about it all the time. Most times we've heard as these blessings, these beatitudes in our lives. But I want to focus on that final one. Blessed are you when they persecute you and mock you or insult you. Remember that they first insulted and persecuted and mocked me. That's one of those things I think many times we forget about when it becomes difficult to stand up for our Christian faith. Oh, being a Christian should be easy. Being Catholic should be easy. If God really wanted me to do this, why doesn't he make it easy? Do you not remember what he did with his son? How he lowered himself becoming human? He sacrificed him for you and for me. That was his mercy for us. Many times we see in Hollywood all of these graphic depictions and we see with the Station of the Cross this glorified version of that last step those last journey of Christ. But it wasn't nice and pretty. In fact, there's been a lot of historical archival data that's come out recently trying to get to how bad the scourging at the pillar was. If you've ever gotten a hangnail, you have an iota of an iota of an iota of an iota of a sense of the pain of being lashed once by those cattails and how it would have felt. Think about that pain that you experience when you stub your toe. It's like, oh my goodness, so painful. Now imagine that over every inch of your body. That's how much our Lord loves us. That every lash that he received He received in love so that we don't have to pay that ultimate price for sin. Many times, though, we don't think about that. We don't think about the glory of God. We don't think about how much he has actually sacrificed for us. We think about how much we've sacrificed for him. God, why didn't you give me what I deserved? Thank God he doesn't. Talk about that a lot. But let's look then, taking that same notion at the second reading that we have from St. Paul to the Corinthians. I can remember this reading very vividly because it was one of the first homilies I ever preached was on this second reading to the Corinthians. At the heart of that reading is an old saying, God does not choose the qualified, he qualifies those that are chosen. Think about it when we look at the Hebrew Scriptures, at the Old Testament. Who did God choose? He didn't choose the people that you would think of. In fact, when they were choosing the first king of the Jewish people, they didn't choose the oldest, they didn't choose the smartest, they didn't choose the strongest. They chose the run of the litter. David, the boy coming out of the field, was the one that was chosen by God to be the first king of Israel. But it's not just him. Throughout history, throughout antiquity, God doesn't choose those who we think have the qualities to be a leader. If he did, I definitely would not be up here today. (laughs) 
I've talked a lot about how growing up I thought, yeah, I could be in charge, but that's what I thought it meant to be a leader. Being a leader means you're actually working with everybody, not over everybody. But as a kid, you think that, yeah, I can be in charge. Yeah, give me more responsibility. And then we get the responsibility. It's like, take it back, take it back, take it back. But when the Lord calls us, he gives us what we need to accomplish the mission that he has given to us. Let me say that again. When the Lord calls you, he gives you what you need to accomplish your mission on earth. Oh, but Father, that can't be so. I've gone this way and I've gone that way and I felt lost in my life. Okay, but that doesn't mean that you can't be found today. Every day is an opportunity to find the grace, peace, mercy, and love of God and to utilize the grace, peace, mercy of God in a different, new, profound, changing way. But I've never done that until now, Father. Well, you can't change that. You can't change the past. Okay, great. You haven't done it until now. What are you waiting for? What is stopping you today from making that change? What is stopping you from day, today from seeing what it is God is calling you to do? How it is God is calling you to live? Oh, okay. That's normal, that's normal where we start with it at least. That was, my, that was my answer when I didn't have a good answer for a question. My dad would hate it. He was like, why did you do that? Oh, don't you oh me. You ever had that conversation with your, with your kids or with your parents? Because we are at a loss for words. We can't comprehend what it is God is calling us to do. And ultimately, what he's calling us to do is to love. See, I got it in there. You're waiting. It's like, where's Father going to put in love in this homily? He's calling us to be loved by him so that we can embrace his love. This should sound familiar because everything that the Lord gives us is because of his love. He sacrificed his son for you and for me because he loves you and me. He gave you the gifts, talents, and skills that you have because he loves you and me. They aren't meant to be burdens in the human understanding of a burden, but they're meant to be burdens in the sense of the burden of responsibility. That to be in charge, to be responsible, means we have both rights and responsibilities, but in our world today, we want all of the rights with none of the responsibilities. How many times have you had a teenager, if you have a kid, if you're a parent and you have a teenager come up to you and say, I'm an adult, give me responsibilities. They have no idea what they're talking about. Because when we are children, we can't comprehend what adults go through in their daily lives. Most times as adults, we look back and say, please give me one more day as a kid. Give me one more day where I can actually have a nap. Give me one more day where I can take this burden of responsibility off of my shoulders and just exist. Does that sound familiar? Been there, done that, am there doing that very often. Lord, take this responsibility from me. Or in other terms, Lord, take this cross from me. Lord, take 
this burden, this cross, this pain, this thing that I can't understand and I can't endure by myself. Take it away from me. Give it to someone else. Now, the reality is, many times in life, we always look around at those who are around us and say, how do they all just seem to get everything right all the time? Like, the people in this situation, no matter what, they're always going to have the right answer. They're always going to have their stuff together. Why can't I? You ever felt that way before? Guess what? They do too. You ever hear that, that phrase, you fake it till you make it? Well, at some point, we are all faking it. Why? Why are we faking that we are so together? And then when we crack, when we boil over, people are so shocked that something happened. Yeah, because we didn't let people see our true selves. Most times, that's because we don't know our true selves. And our true self is loved by God, even in its imperfection, even in its worst moment, even in those moments of despair, God still loves you. God can't possibly love me, Father. He, if you knew what I had done, you would realize and understand why he has ultimately abandoned me. My response is, if you realize what he has done, you would truly, ultimately realize he will never abandon you. But Satan doesn't want you to hear that truth. Because when we are by ourselves and have nowhere to go and no one to rely on, we have no room for growth. Or as the old philosophical term goes, there is no growth in a vacuum. If you surround yourself with just people that are like-minded, you're never going to be told no. That's not a good thing. You may feel like, oh, look at me, man. Everybody loves what I'm doing. Oh, my gosh, it's so amazing. Now, I have to admit, it is nice every once in a while to be told yes. We like to have our egos flattered, yes. But when we are in the wrong, if no one is there to A, tell us we're in the wrong, and B, help us through it, then what's the point? What is the point of being a brother and sister in Christ if we aren't there with each other? There isn't one. My brothers and sisters... The reality is, you aren't by yourself. Look around at the people in this church. You can do it. You can actually look around. Not just here, but look to each other. Not just to your immediate family, not just to those that you know, but that the people in this church, every time that we gather, are people that we are called to rely on and people that are called to rely on us. Because when we were baptized, we were each baptized as a priest, a prophet, and a king, given authority over each other, not in a, in a 
masculine authority manner that society would dictate it into, but authority in the sense of how can I pray for you today? How can I love you today? How can I assist you today? We become so cynical in our lives and in our world because we see just the brokenness. We don't see the miracles. We don't allow ourselves to have a glimpse at the goodness of life. Man, is it out there. When people come to me and say, Father, you will not believe what happened to me today. In back of my mind, it's like, try me. I've heard so many things. There's no way I'm not going to believe it. It'll be cool. I'm glad you went through it, but nothing's really going to shock me at this point. Good, bad, ugly, or indifferent. I was at the exact right place at the exact right time. I got a flat tire, and I forgot to bring a donut. And wouldn't you know, within five minutes, someone came over, had an extra tire in their car, and put it on my car. Would you believe that, Father? Now, that's never been told to me, so I would believe it, because I just made that up. But it wouldn't surprise me if something like that happened, because I have heard stories similar to that my whole priesthood. The unfortunate thing is you don't tell each other those stories often enough. One of the things that we as Catholic Christians really struggle to do that many of our non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters do really, 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 really well, we don't know how to witness to our faith. We don't know how to testify to the truth that is in our hearts that is the person of Jesus Christ. But that's what telling those stories is. Say, look how God has interacted and intervened in my crappy situation today. Thank you, Lord. Because I guarantee you, if you take that step back and begin to reflect on not only your life, not only this year, but on your day, you can begin to see where God is speaking to you very often. I talk about some of those stories in my own life to tell you not that, ha, look at me, see, God loves me. No, to let you know that God loves you too. And some of you guys have been miracles in my life, and my prayer is that I become a miracle in your lives as well. But also that you can become miracles for each other. One of my favorite movies, of course I have to mention a movie, growing up, was an old, well, I guess old now, movie where Morgan Freeman played God. Jim Carrey played this guy that thought he knew better than God. It's called Bruce Almighty if you didn't know where I was going with it. And at the end of the movie, I think is one of the most profound lines in almost any movie I've ever seen. If you can't see the miracle, be the miracle. Think about that for a second. Maybe God is calling you this very night to be a miracle in someone's life that will change their lives and their whole way of looking at life. I'll never forget that first time in my life. I was in youth group. I was in eighth or ninth grade. And we were talking about, we were sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament at my home parish at St. Andrews and more, had the lights dimmed, and so we're kind of praying together, and different people were getting up and talking about people that made a difference in their life. 
And so my ex-girlfriend gets up, and it's like, oh, geez. Now, by ex-girlfriend, I mean we were sixth grade, hold hands, and that's all it was, but, you know, ex-girlfriend, whatever. So she gets up and says, this person doesn't know they made a difference in my life. I was depressed. I was anxious. I was at my wit's end. And it wasn't anything that this person said or really anything that this person did except for being there when I needed them to cry on their shoulder. Danny, thank you. And I'm like, what do I do? She's cute. Of course I'm going to give her a hug. I mean, come on. Because many times we don't realize how God can utilize us to be in the right place at the right time in ways that we don't even know. But I guarantee you, there is someone's life who you have changed. One of my favorite movies of all time, not Bruce Almighty, but that's a good one too. It's a Wonderful Life. I watch that movie at least once a year to remind me that life isn't as bad as I think it is. Spoiler alert, it's been out for like 60 years. If you haven't seen it, it's your own fault, go watch it. You've got this man, George Bailey, who is living this life, never gets to do what he wants to do because the old savings and loan is going under, and he's the oldest son, so he has to be the one to take on his shoulders the burden of the family business. His younger brother gets to go off, be this great war hero, and everything is fine until there's a run on the bank. And during this run at the bank, old nasty Mr. Potter takes the $20,000 that he needed to put in the bank that would save their savings and loan, and he loses it because Mr. Potter steals it. So Mr. Potter is then called the police. He's called all of these people around them. And George is like, I don't know what to do. I had just got married. We were going on our honeymoon. And there's a run in the bank. We've lost all this money. There's no hope. So what does he do? He makes that same decision that many people do when they feel like there's nowhere else to turn. He goes to a bridge, looks over this bridge, and as he's about to jump, he sees someone else jump in, Clarence. And so instead of taking his own life, he has that fight-or-flight mentality response. And what does he do? He jumps in to save his life. Now, if you've seen the movie, you know well, Clarence is an angel. And so as George saves his life, which he's an angel, he really didn't save it, but that's the point. As he saves Clarence, they're talking back and forth, talking back and forth, talking back and forth. And George says, I wish, and it would be better if I had never been born. Those of us, and I include myself in this, that have ever struggled with depression in their lives, that's where it starts. We say to ourselves or to another person, it would be better if I was never even born. I've been there. And what happens in that moment? Clarence says, hey, big man, good idea. You've never been born, George. Like, what do you mean? So he leaves, and the world is in a, like a multi-alternate reality universe as if George Bailey had never existed. 
And he realizes that, oh my gosh, the world is completely different. Because he didn't realize that his first boss had gone through and switched pills, his old boss was now an old drug addict and an alcoholic. And because he didn't step in to save the savings and loan and his brother had still gone off to war, he wasn't able to be there to stop old man Potter from buying the whole town that is now Pottersville. Because he hadn't done and said and been where he had done and said and been, the world was a worse place without him. So as he's running home, he says, Clarence, Clarence, I take it back. I want my life. I want my life. I want my wife. I want my kids. And then he comes back to his reality. And if you don't get chills at the end of that movie, as I'm talking about it right now, I'm getting chills. When they start bringing in all of this money to help repay the loan, and even Mr. Old Cranky Mr. Potter brings in the $20,000 that he stole, if you don't get chills when he realizes his mistake, then this is your opportunity tonight to look at your own life and see how the world will be different if you weren't in it in a negative fashion. Because I guarantee every person in this church that if you weren't here, the world would be a little worse today. I don't know each and every one of you personally. I'm getting there slowly, slowly, slowly. There's a lot more of you than there are of me. But I guarantee you this world would be a worse off place if you weren't in it. God doesn't choose the qualified. He qualifies those that he has chosen. And by our baptisms in the faith, he has chosen and called each and every one of us to be his beloved sons and daughters of Christ. He has endowed upon you the gifts and talents and skills that you need. Ask him to show you those gifts. Ask him to show you in your life how you can make a difference. And if you can remember as you're reflecting on these things, which I'm hoping you do when you go home tonight, if you remember someone that you forgot to say thank you to, stop what you're doing after Mass. Write them a note. Send them an email. Call them. And just say thank you. Thank you for being who I needed, when I needed, when you didn't know I was at my wit's end. Thank you for doing what I needed to be done that I didn't feel like could be done when I needed it to be done. Thank you for that gift. Because we spend too much time on that end of today's gospel where we focus on how we're persecuted, we focus on the bad things, we don't see how God has blessed us in our lives. My brothers and sisters, you are loved by God. And not only are you loved by God, you are loved by the people in this church. You may not like each other. <laughs> I understand. I don't like all of you and not all of you like me. That's okay. 
But how do we love each other? How do we grow together in faith? It's by recognizing what really matters. Not our past, not our future, but what we can do today. Be brave, be courageous, be loved by God.